Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. It was great. It was awesome from this end to watch people like, first of all, like, what's happening? Why are we watching The Grinch? And then everyone starts, you know, mouthing the words. And by the end, everyone's singing the words. So uh, that's great. It's great. Um, the only other song you guys sang that much in an intro video was Hello by Adele. Uh, so Grinch and Adele. There you go. You got your two. Your participation thing. Um, Christmas to the movies. We're talking about The Grinch today. We're actually talking about the Grinchiest Grinch of all time. Well, not all time. One of the top three. Uh, His name is Herod. They know him by Herod the Great. I guarantee you no Jewish person gave him the moniker Herod the Great. The Romans gave him Herod the Great because he built a bunch of stuff. If you wanted the Romans to like you, you started building stuff and naming it after Roman people. That was uh, your ticket to success. Uh, that's Vanity has always been around. And that's uh, how Herod got uh, his job and how he stayed in power and how he also got the moniker great. But actually, as a Jewish person, he was terrible. Uh, he was more akin to Ivan the Terrible, you know, the guy where we get Dracula from, um, than he was Herod the Great. And so this is kind of... Um, um, I, I don't know. When I read the, the Bible and it's like, oh, Herod, and you hear about Herod the Great, you kind of go, oh, he must have done something great. No. He was, he was the Grinch. That's what he did well. He was the Grinch without the coming around part. Uh, so, and not to spoil the movie if you've never seen it, but uh, there's a good ending for the Grinch. Uh, anyway. So we're talking about King Herod. We're going to talk about the Magi today and these, these two amazing, amazing uh, different people that come from different walks of life in history, and one of which, both of which actually have kind of disappeared from history. If it wasn't for the Christmas story, we wouldn't really remember very much about Herod the Great, and we wouldn't uh, remember very much about the Magi either. And so we're going to examine them, their kind of ideals and how they approached Christmas and why it was even important to them. And hopefully we can see what that looks like in our own lives and who are we going to try to emulate in our own lives uh, through this. Um, Because Christmas has this ability to either beat us down or lift us up. And you may go through those emotions in the same day. Uh, My wife is a teacher um, and, and for those teacher friends here that are here today, Christmas season and the excitement of those kids and you trying to actually teach them and administer tests is a very unique dance, right? Um, and that's, that's, that's hard stuff because you just want to kind of, you, you can't strangle a kid and make them take a test at the same time. That's not, those are counterproductive. Um, you're not, teachers don't strangle kids anyway, but that's, that's beside the point. It's just difficult. We got an email from uh, our kid's teacher Friday. It's like, if you thought this week was jam-packed, next week's worse. It's like, why are you doing this to me? You mean person, you. Uh, I don't care about the homework for the kids. This is about me. Thank you very much. But it is what it is. Christmas can either beat you down or lift you up. It depends on how much you're getting involved in all the the have-tos of Christmas, right? Uh, I want to be very, 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 very aware of the differences between a have-to of Christmas and a get-to of Christmas. Am I enjoying Christmas or am I being trudged around in Christmas? 
Because very, just the very act of living in your house during Christmas can be a beat-down experience. Right? Just trying to get meals on the table through life can be a beat-down experience at Christmas. And that's not what this is supposed to be at all. This is supposed to be the most joyful, exciting, wonderful time of the year. Because what it all is about is about celebrating, a, about celebrating Jesus coming to earth to redeem us, to set us all free. Christmas is a season where we get to go, whoa, we get to be free. We get to be redeemed. I don't have to eat special foods. I can eat bacon. I'm free from laws. I'm all that stuff, of, of the, the Old Testament. I am free from all these things. This is a moment where my past doesn't matter anymore because Jesus has come and redeemed me. That's what Christmas is about. Instead, we get so bogged down and I've got to bake this cookie and I've got to do this thing and I've got to go to that party and I've got to wrap that present and I've got to do this and this, 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 and where's my anxiety medicine? Right? There's a reason that so many suicides happen at Christmas. This should not be, folks. Because Christmas can either beat you down or lift you up. It's been that way since the very, very first one. Kelly and I had a um, moment this week, Kelly's my wife, where we got to decide if Christmas was going to beat us down or lift us up, and it wasn't looking good for a while. So the story is this. Wednesday, uh, we had a little miscommunication about who had oven rights on Wednesday afternoon, right? And so when you've got 8,000 different parties that you got to go to, there's oven rights, I got it from this time period here and this time period here, and I'm going to do it. So I laid claim, I thought, to the oven. I started thawing out my sausage for the sausage balls. We all know the most important part of Christmas. So Jesus, Jesus is more important. The sausage balls, second most important part of Christmas. And so I've got the oven laid out. I'm cooking dinner. So I'm like, I've got oven rights. I'm cooking dinner. Right, guys? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well... Kelly, uh, you know, planned ahead and looked at her schedule and said, hey, I've only got this many hours to bake 8,000 different things for this party, this party, this party, this party, and Wednesday is it, so that's the time, and I've got oven rights. So, but I came home, I got the kids off the bus. I've got the kids off the bus, I got my hands deep in sausage and bisquick and cheese and all the fun stuff that goes on with sausage balls, I washed first. If you ate one of my sausage balls, I, I washed really well. And so I'm doing all this. I got a baby crying on my foot. I got a dog barking at the neighbor's dog. I got my, one of my kids left their homework on the homework. It only happens to, uh, on the bus. It only happens to be long division. We have no idea what's going on anyway. And then Kendall's there being good. So that really outed Bowen. But you know, we, we got... We, we got... We got He's either crying on my foot or forgot his homework. Whoops, sorry, buddy. Um, so there's, there's all this going on. And in walks, and I've got the oven cranked up. I got dinner going. I got sausage balls. In walks Kelly, and she looks at me like, oh, you didn't just steal the oven. Like I could tell in her face, she tried, she tried really hard not to, not to blow up. It was good. I was like, oh, I, this is my oven. Tell me it's different. Sausage balls and eggs and all this stuff. It's like, I got my oven. I got this, the dinner in the oven. We're, we're good. I got it all. And there's this moment. And then she starts cooking her stuff. She's like, okay, I'll just, I'll get in as soon as he's done with that. We'll, we'll, 
this will work. This will this will happen. This will happen. And the tension's rising, and dogs are barking louder, and kids are crying more, and and just the you guys, you know what? You know when the water goes from a simmer to a rolling boil, right? And no one's saying anything. There's just the pans are getting hit a little louder than probably they need to be. And there's this moment where I, I don't. We didn't even say anything, but there was this moment where it, it was a moment where doors are start going to start getting slammed. Things are going to start getting thrown, and I have no hands to do anything, so I'm a sitting duck. Uh, so, and someone's going to be sleeping on the couch. Like this is this is we are right at that moment. It's like right there where we get to choose whether we're going to let Christmas beat us down or lift us up. So instead. This is I I chose not to, you know, be right. This was my, I. Do I have to put it on the? I, I had all it down. I was loaded for bear, man. You could hear the shotgun shells, the verbal go to. Do I have to put this on iCal? I was cooking dinner. I have uh, I have oven. You know, I was. I'm loaded for bear, baby. And we decided not to do that. Did you know that was an option? Did you know that it was an option not to take your best pot shot that you possibly can? Did you know that was an option? I forget that's an option very often. (laughs) But but by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit entered our kitchen and said, no, you you could fight for each other instead of fight each other. And this, that's, that's, if you take that, that could be your Christmas miracle this Christmas season, but you can fight for each other. And so the question became, all right, I'm done with my part. I don't have to finish those Thursday night sausage ball for the elder meeting party's done. I I, I can do that later. I'm cleaning up. How can I help you? Let's get through this together. Instead of I'm going to do my, Oh, you forgot this part of my, no, 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 no. How can I help you? Chose to fight for each other instead of fight against each other. Let me tell you, Wednesday night went a lot better than if the Mount Vesuvius would have gone off. Because nobody, nobody has time for that. We don't even have time right now at Christmas time to have a fight. Like, were, you, were you there with me right now? Like, we'll fight in January. <laughs> we just got to get through it right now. <clears throat> but the option is there. The option is to say, you know what? We're going to fight for each other, not against each other right now. We're going to choose to let Christmas lift us up as a relationship instead of tear us down. <laughs> yeah, we, we fail plenty. Okay, I just wanted to tell you guys that was that's possible. I was <laughs> I was amazed. Uh, it, it can happen, but that's when we choose. Like, what's more important? Are getting perfectly ready for all these different things and have our timetable perfect? Is that more important, or is our more important getting to enjoy our family, getting to understand and being in the right mindset of what this season's all about, of Jesus coming and the joy, the victory that is in this season, or do we get caught up in all the have-tos? It's a very fine line, and we can find ourselves kind of walking back and forth in that. I'm telling you folks, if you get too caught up in all the have-tos of Christmas in this season, you're going to find yourself in a very bad spot in Christmas and dreading it. And I don't want to ever be in a place where I'm dreading Christmas, right? Just dreading it because I got to do this and I got to go to that. And I got to, oh, I got to do, I got to buy that gift. And I got to, oh, I don't even like that person. Why am I buying them a gift? Like you doing all these things where you find yourself in a spot you don't want to be. Or you can come in contact and have the expectation of what this season's all about the coming of Jesus. And we get to celebrate that. That everything we do, whether it's sugary cookies we're baking, 
whether it's going to a party, whether it's visiting with friends, is the very fact, the root of all that, of why we're doing that, is we're celebrating the coming of Jesus. And so if, here's a litmus test, if what you're doing is not going to help you come in contact with Jesus and, kind of, and, and relish the fact that he came to save us, and that's not going to show your family that truth, then it probably can be cut. And some of those things are hard. We cut, uh, we were supposed to go to Indianapolis um, Friday night and Saturday. We we're supposed to get home about one, two o'clock in the morning last night. And uh, we were going to do it because we had family Christmas party and I had college friends having a party. We're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to do it. We're gonna go. It's the bad thing about being a pastor is you can't go out with your friends on Saturday night. Like, like okay, well, hey, let's get out. No. Fridays are perfectly opportun- perfect opportunities to hang out, guys. Uh, but, and Kelly and I looked at each other, and, and she's like, so uh, are you ready to go? And I'm like, are, are we really doing this? <laughs> and she's like, I thought you wanted to go. I thought you wanted to go. <laughs> I was like, I do, because you really want to see your college friends. I'm like, yeah, I really do. But you want to really go see your family. Like, yeah, I really do. But I wanted to go because you needed to, to spend time with those guys. And I wanted to go because you wanted to spend time with your aunts and uncles. Do we have, are we a walking Christmas story right now? I'm like the guy with the watch that sells his watch so he can get his wife a comb and, and, uh, and you can comb your hair and you're the wife that cuts her hair so she can buy the watch for her husband. We're that story. We are. What's the answer? I don't know. You know what, guys? It was okay that we said no. It was okay. Because what it was going to do was going to make arguments all throughout the week and stress us out. Instead, we got a day at home to be like, hey, now we can do these things together. That was possible. That's an option. I didn't know that was an option. Now, I'm winning a relationship this week. Last four days, woo, I'm doing great. Except Paul and Lisa saw me at Target wanting to kill my kids because we were trying to Christmas shop for each other there. So they know the truth of the matter. You can win in one minute and 30 minutes later, you're like, oh, it's okay. So don't be like, oh, Jared's just talking about how he wins. Next week, we'll talk about, no, I don't preach next week. Two weeks, we'll talk about how I failed. It's okay. But the idea is that the Christmas has this opportunity to either beat us down and it should never be that or lift us up. Let's talk about these guys um, that live, that chose different ways. Um, in Matthew two, we see these two people, Herod and, uh, the Magi. We're going to talk about the Magi first. You're going to want to take notes about the Magi. Um, if you've never heard a message about them before, this will be very interesting stuff. Um, the Magi are incredibly, incredibly important in history. They kind of get glossed over because they got beat by the Romans. But the Magi are ancient, ancient, ancient religious uh, priest sect. Ancient. They served as a priest for the Babylonian Empire. They served as a priest for the, Parthian, or the Persian Empire. And they served as a priest for the Parthian Empire. And so the Magi are these really important people that have been around for thousands of years that have been this uh, religious sect leader and the priests for um, basically the kingmakers for the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, and the Parthian Empire. If you wanted to be king, you had to go get the blessing of the Magi. If you didn't get their blessing, you weren't going to be king of the prospective empires. So this is a big deal, right? And some of you are like, oh, I didn't know about that about the Magi. So the Magi coming to 
see baby Jesus because the new king is being born is sending this, why King Herod is like, what are you talking about? Is because now the kingmakers of the Parthian empire are walking into his palace saying, hey, where's the new king? We want to adore him. Do you see how this is starting an international incident? Right? So I've always kind of, before I knew this, I was like, why is Herod so cranky about these guys walking in? It's because he's basically saying, hey, where's the new king? We want to adore him as an international delegation, as emissaries. We want to give him gifts. Not you, Herod, the new one. You see how that would cause a little tension? Maybe a little jealousy in a madman called King Herod? So that's what's going on there. This is very interesting. The Magi also, um, why would the Magi even be looking for a star? Let's think about the star for a second. Um, If you don't have TV at night, and most of the world at this time is sleeping on their roofs, or at least Israel is sleeping on their roofs or in courtyards because of um, airflow, because it's too hot at night. You don't have TV. It's too dark to read a book. You don't really have books. Look around, you're going to notice the splendor of stars. You don't have light pollution. So when this big old honking star comes out and, hey, anybody else notice that? Yeah. Uh, So it's been very, for us, a new star could show up and be like, no idea. Tyson Motors is lit up, but I can't see the new star, right? That wouldn't have been, so we kind of lose some of that, but this would be a big event. Everybody was like, what is that thing doing there? What's going on? Everyone had known about the star. It had been a, kind of a different, do you see the new billboard? Um, that, that kind of thing would have been going on there. So uh, the Magi study the star. They're these priest uh, organization, but they have a tie to Judaism. That's a little stronger than I ever thought uh, before. The Magi are tied in because when a man named Daniel lived 600 years before this, he, uh, you may, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know who I'm talking about, Daniel, like the same guy who got thrown in to the lion's den, Daniel, that Daniel. He was a Jewish slave that got stripped from um, Israel when the Babylonians took over, and he rose in the ranks because he was so, mar- so smart and so, so wise, he kept on rising in the ranks of the Babylonian empire, kept on rising, getting put in charge of more stuff, put in charge of more stuff, put in charge of more stuff. One of his titles was the Rob Magi. He was the chief Magi by the end of his life in charge of them all. And he wrote down all these prophecies. If you read Daniel, you're like, this, there's the, I get the lion's den part, but the rest of this gets kind of interesting. But in these prophecies, he picks out the time and the place that, day, that Jesus would be born. He claims when the Messiah will be born, he's already had these, Messiah, these, these prophecies. And in those prophecies, part of the Magi were still loyal to him 600 years later. The secret sect of Magi kept on keeping track of when this Messiah that our our guy Daniel prophesied for, um, they kept track of that. And so what these guys are doing coming from the Parthia is they're still being loyal to a Daniel 600 years later that had prophesied that the Messiah would come. And so they have been looking for this big deal. And so when they see this star, they're like, ah, it's coming true. We've been looking for this for years and 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 years. These Gentile guys, that's only faith. They don't have a, a Jewish faith that their only connection to Judaism is that Daniel, a slave man, 
told them that this would happen. And so uh, out of the slavery that was the Jewish people comes this, this adoration, comes this, this looking for a Messiah. And it's this beautiful thing. When you, when you think about it, these guys are being obedient to a Daniel who was 600 years earlier to look for the Messiah. They'll be coming in Bethlehem. These are interesting, interesting things about the Magi. See, the Magi's response to the coming of Jesus is adoration. Where is this king going to be? Where is this, this new king going to be? Yeah, I've got to ride on a camel for a thousand miles, but where is this king going to be? They have expectation. They want to honor. They bring incredibly precious gifts to Jesus. Many uh, scholars look back at these gifts, and there's all kinds of symbolism in the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh, but these are incredibly valuable. And so whether they were used later in life to, uh, at Jesus' death or if they were used for whatever, or they just were all sold from the beginning when they, flew, when they ran away to Egypt and came back, was this the money they used to, to actually start the whole bankroll, the whole ministry? Was this the, the money they used to set up a life for themselves? Because who knows what the family tensions would have been when the unwed <laughs> pregnant lady gave birth to the son of God. Um, you know, tell that one to your, uh, your dad, the father-in-law. Hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's tough stuff. Are you cut out of the will? What, what did that look like? And so these amazing gifts, not just little gifts, they weren't bringing like little toy baby shoes and they weren't bringing a rattle, they were bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh, stuff that was worth a fortune. They came out of adoration. For us this Christmas season, how do we approach Jesus? How do we approach the season? Do we come at it with like oh, obligation and things we have to do and the places we've got to go? Or do we come before God in adoration? I, I got to check myself on this all the time. I don't want to buy a Christmas tree. I don't want to pay money to put a dead thing in my house. Like I don't want to. I get to be a little whiny brat. I generally keep it all in my head, but sometimes it slips out. And my response is of dread, and my response is of, ugh. How do I switch my brain? How do I switch my very heart and my soul to be that of adoration of this baby that has come to save humanity? The second one that I want to talk to you about is Herod. How Herod responds is with fear. Herod responds to Jesus with fear. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother through the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. He was, and so was fulfilled. The Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I'll call my son. When the Herod reluctant, realized that they had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time they had learned from the Magi. See, he's the Grinchiest Grinch. He's killing two-year-old boys at Christmas. You don't often remember that story, right? 
we end the nativity scene <laughs> with, oh, and they, uh, and they went home by another route because they were warned in a dream, not because David or because Herod is a mass murderer and a genocidal maniac. Merry Christmas. So Herod's got some story, got some, got some history with the Magi. Uh, the Parthian Empire had actually came down and uh, beat uh, and taken over Jerusalem, and Herod had to run away to Rome and stay for a little bit until he uh, talked the Romans into sending an army and pushing the Parthians out. So when he sees these guys, these Magi, these Parthian emissaries, diplomats, walking into his vicinity proclaiming a new king he can't ha- help but have a little heartburn over the situation and so here we go again i'm getting thrown out i'm got all of that, that story and herod's already incredibly self-involved and probably insane because herod is so bent on holding on to power to making monuments to himself that he goes about killing his own sons and family to secure his power and so when this huge, fo- like representing this huge force at this time in history, we look at the end of the day, Rome's not going to get beat. Rome beats everybody, right? We look at it because we have 2000 years to look back on it. It's a really a, a toss up. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Parthians have been owning this area for centuries, for thousands of years. I don't know if the Romans are going to want to come all the way. What's so happy about Israel that they're going to send the resources and money to come over there? Not much there. Right? So it, it could be going back and forth. The Parthians, so in Herod's deluded brain, oh my goodness, the Parthians are going to come down, throw the Romans out, and they're going to kill me and elevate this kid to be the new king. Ah! So he's made up this whole story. He's already missed the point. Christmas has already got him down. And he's missed the point. The problem is, Herod should have been ushering in this child. Herod is the steward of Israel. Herod is the one that should know that the Messiah is going to be born. Not some pagan magi from a different religion from a thousand miles away. See the problem with this? This guy is the king of the Jews. He should know that the Messiah is coming. Instead, he is flabbergasted when they start telling him these prophecies. He's like, wait a minute. I got to check with some people. (laughs) Be right back. Is this really, this is what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bethlehem, it's supposed to happen. Really? Huh. How about that? Let's kill him. Sounds like a good plan. This is what happens. And so King Herod goes into this jealous rage, basically, like, oh, let's connive, let's figure out, let's figure out how to kill these kids. And so not just looking for Mary and Joseph, but kill them all. Kill them all. Can you imagine? That was his solution because he's so scared of losing power. Herod is the Grinch. Herod's response to Christmas is fear. Herod's response to this is is that of how do I keep control? And this Christmas, I think we have to be very, very focused on, I don't want to become like the Grinch. I don't want to become like Herod, where I'm so focused on controlling the season, making everything work out the way I want it to work out, that I don't leave any room for Jesus. In fact, I push him away. I don't know where you find yourself on that control spectrum. But if your decisions are not being made on how do I adore Jesus in this, we're making the wrong decisions. You're like, Jared, I wish you would have like 
led with this message three weeks ago because I've been crazy busy for the last three weeks and I'm seeing how I missed the point and I missed the point and I missed the point and I missed the point. Some of you haven't even been able to listen to me this morning because you're just thinking about the to-do list that you have to do. I want you to slow down. Breathe. Smell the pine. Think about it. Calm yourself. It's not worth it. If you miss the ability to adore Jesus in this moment, you've missed Christmas. And Christmas will continually be a time of year that beats you down instead of lifts you up. I hate it when I hear the stories of how Christmas, oh, I'm getting through Christmas. We made it. We survived. Like, folks, we're missing the birth of Jesus. This is the time in which God invades earth and says, I am for you. I am with you. I want to save you. I want to change human history and your history. That's what this season is about. And if we're not in the moment of going, oh, my goodness, this is amazing, we're missing the point. So how do we reorient everything that we've been doing, all, all of our decisions that we made, maybe even our traditions and our histories, to say, how do we show adoration to God? in this moment. Maybe it means taking some reflective time on what you do, on why you do. Maybe it's just tweaking the why, not necessarily the what. I just know in our own lives, we've got to do do this. We've got to look at this. And I know I'm not alone. Because actually, I try to talk to people at Christmas season and doesn't. It's like, don't put it on the calendar. Just like, I'll talk to Eric January 4th. Like, you know, that's the, we'll have a friendship again. Like, I'm not calling you out. That's the way it is, you know. But we'll, we'll meet up in February uh, because we got all these holidays. This is insane. Like, we just got to, you got to parse it out. We, 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 we missed the point because we filled it with stuff. This Christmas, I don't want to be the Grinch. I don't want to be so given over to fear. I don't want to be so given over to, uh, to the junk of life that I miss Christmas. Because Christmas is about Jesus coming to earth to save us. To say, you know what? You've tried it on your own. You've tried to earn it. you try to do these things. It's not working. I'm coming to save you. Yep, in baby form, yes. It's going to take a while, yes. But I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to change the whole narrative. I'm coming to give you a hope and give you a future. And Christmas has got to get back to that. We can get mad about Christmas songs or, you know, keep Christ in Christmas or get frustrated with Santa Claus. It doesn't, all that stuff doesn't matter. We got to come back to who Jesus is in, in this season. So whether we get distracted with cookies, with sausage balls, with parties, or with movies, Is Jesus the reason we're coming to Christmas? When we make the decisions of why we're doing things, what we're doing, is it coming to adore him, to honor him, with an expectation that Jesus is really going to show up? Or is it out of obligation and dread? I got to change my mindset to be that of adoration, and I hope you'll join me in that. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for 
who you are and what you're up to and what you're doing in our lives. God, we ask you to move in us. Lord, that for those of us who just feel so overwhelmed in this moment that we would be able to breathe, that we would be able to hear you, that we'd be able to feel your nudging. God, that we'd be able to say a divine no to some stuff. That we'd say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. God, that we would lead our families well. We'd show them that it is possible to say yes and to say no. God, we ask you to bless us. We ask you to be with us. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for what it means. We thank you for this season. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And God, we want to take the moments and take the time and and slow down and breathe and hug a little longer. To smile a little longer at the joy of the season, as the excitement is only going to ramp up this year, as the expectations start to, to, to build for our children, that we would be able to speak life and set a great example for them. And to always unswervingly point them back to Jesus. Lord, we love you and we praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com. To continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ, you can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.